All right. Here goes episode one of Broken Lenses. Got a very special guest today. It's one of my very close friends. He's got a podcast. They started uh, back in April. Yeah. April 1st was the official first full-length episode. Damn. It's already December. All right. And what's that podcast called? Recovery Survey. And what is Recovery Survey? That's a great question. Recovery Survey, it kind of tells you a little bit in the title. It's a recovery podcast. And the basic idea behind Recovery Survey is I wanted a place where I could talk with people about different kinds of recovery, different recovery programs, different methods, whether that be 12-step or... There's other things like smart recovery or recovery dharma, which is like a Buddhism-based recovery, or uh, even things like harm reduction, where um, I don't know a lot about harm reduction, so that's probably not a great example. But my understanding of harm reduction is like substituting hard drugs for like marijuana or something along those lines. And we also discuss like mental health and things in that category. So all kinds of different recovery topics. Um, I talk to people that that have written books, movies, all kinds of different recovery-themed uh, things. Okay. So what what got you interested in starting a podcast? I've always been a big fan of podcasts. I've listened to podcasts for a while, and honestly, I just wanted to start my own. I love hobbies. I like trying new things, and... I liked the idea of getting to talk to people that I might not get the opportunity to talk to without the podcast. And it just kind of worked out perfectly where the beginning of the podcast was like, right as everybody went on lockdown and everybody started using zoom and staying at home and stuff. So it worked out where it was like, okay, most of the people that I want to talk to now have like a ton of free time on their hands and I can send them a message on Instagram or Twitter or wherever and they'll probably get back to me because they're not doing anything. So it worked out really well. <laughs> nice. Nice. I mean, that's the reason why I started a podcast. Exactly, man. It's a great, I mean, we were, we were discussing before while we were setting up the equipment, you were talking about how it's, it's a good outlet. And I agree with that, man. Like I love being able to just talk to people and, and hear different perspectives and hear different ways that people do things. And that's kind of, that's one of the things that I've really learned from recovery, man, is there's no one right way to do something just because something works for you. Doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And I love hearing the different perspectives and hearing people's different life experiences and just how they handle situations, man. Cause there's so many different ways to do it. And for the longest time, I always thought that my way was the best way. My way was the only way if people would just do things the way that I do them, then the world would be a better place and, you know, come to find out my way doesn't work. You know, my way ends up getting me high. My way ends up getting me arrested. Like the ways that I try to do things obviously didn't work. So I need to find different ways to do it. And this podcast is an opportunity to talk to people in all different walks of life, all over the world, like all kinds of different lived experiences. And that's one of the things. And we were discussing that earlier when we were uh, when we were driving around, man, like, getting actual life experience like book knowledge is great but 
I love hearing what's actually worked for you. Like, what have you done in your life? Like, show me examples of, you know, spiritual principles in action or I did this and I used to do it this way. And here's the result of, of how that, how that worked out. Like, I like to see the actual results. Like book knowledge is great, but tell me what does your life actually look like? You know, the other 23 hours of the day that you're not in a meeting. Yeah. I think that a lot of times, you know, we hear in a meeting that meeting makers make it, but then I find out that, just going to a meeting is not going to keep me clean or not going to keep me sober, whatever, whatever you subscribe to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think it's kind of a twofold thing. I mean, I, I get the idea behind encouraging people to go to meetings. I think it's a great idea because you get to meet a lot of people. You get to make those connections of, of other people that aren't using or drinking. And I think that's really important because for me, a lot of it, a lot of the draw to using again was like hanging out with those old friends and being in those places where I used to use and, and being in that environment. So I understand that aspect of wanting to not be in that same environment and begin to make friends that are like-minded and that that have similar goals. But I agree, man, like I could put on a really good front for an hour. I can, I can bullshit my way through an hour and, and quote a bunch of literature and, and present myself like I'm just the best person you've ever met. Like I can, I can put on that front and I think as addicts, like we're pretty good at that. Like we're pretty good at bullshitting and, and playing the part and being what we need to be in that situation. You know, like that, that idea of a, of a chameleon. So yes and no, like I see the benefits for sure. And it's, it's a great place to meet those people and to get new perspectives on like different people interpret the literature in different ways and different people work steps in different ways. So I think it's really important. I think it's a good piece. I think it's a good foundation, but I don't think that just because I go to a meeting an hour a day, every day doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to be clean and sober for the rest of my life. There's still action on my part that, that has to take place. You know, I can't just go in there and, and sit there and expect, expect recovery to happen. And there's, this cheesy, it's so fucking cheesy, but it, it makes sense, man. Like just because I stand in a garage doesn't mean I'm a car. Like I have to put in the work to be a recovering addict. Just because I sit my seat, sit my ass in a seat for an hour doesn't mean I'm a recovering addict. Like I have to continue to put in the work. I have to, to work some steps. I got to get a sponsor. I got to do all those things. But at the same time, in the beginning, I don't know any of that shit. So it's a good it's a good suggestion to come to meetings regularly and get familiar with the program because when I get in there, at least from my experience, like I don't know what a sponsor is. What does that even mean? Like my experience of, of the word sponsor or sponsorship before being introduced to a 12 step program is like, Oh, a sponsor, somebody that's going to like pay for shit. Like a sponsor is going to be somebody that's going to like buy me new shoes and buy me a new skateboard. And like, I'm going to wear their logo on my clothes and stuff. And that's not what a a sponsor is. You know, a sponsor is just one. It's just another person in the program that's helping guide me through the process. And so I don't know what that is when I first get there. So I need to still come around and, and be involved in my group to understand what some of these things are and to begin to see the importance of sponsorship. Uh, cause I've tried to do it on my own before. And I tried to do it on my own before I got in the 12 step fellowship that I'm a part of. 
I've tried to do it on my own in the 12 step fellowship that I'm a part of. And I can't do it by myself. It takes, it's a team effort. You know, I need those other people in recovery to help me. Just like we were talking about earlier. I need those new perspectives. I need people to say, this is what I did. This is what worked. And then I can say, okay, I'll try that. And it might work for me. It might not, but at least I'm trying something different instead of just repeating the same old shit that I've done over and over and over again that hasn't worked. So what shit got you here? Like what, <laughs> like what did, what did, what did life look like for Brett uh, before he found a 12 step program that worked for him? Mm, that's a great question, man. Uh, my life before recovery was basically it was a lot of pain and misery, but the bottom line is my life revolved around using my life was I wake up in the morning, I pick up the meth pipe, I smoke a bowl. All right, I'm ready to go. I say morning. It was probably like mid afternoon. <laughs> I have been there, brother. Yeah, because at the time I was working this shitty pizza delivery job at this place that stayed open until like 3 a.m. and like 4 a.m. on the weekend. So I was working this night shift where I was working like 8 to 3 or some bullshit. So my, my day started off in the early afternoon was my morning time. So I'd smoke and then basically that was like the whole day man is like get high and try to try to like i don't know try to fuck i don't even know what i'm trying to say man like i'd smoke get up and and try to get the day started and then by that time it's like time to go to work go work for a couple hours on my delivery route cruise back by the house smoke some more deliver a few pizzas cruise by the house smoke a little bit more and it was just like this repetitive cycle of I don't want to face my feelings. I don't want to face reality. I don't want to deal with any of this. But if I just continue to stay high, I don't have to face reality. I don't have to face the pain and the misery. And I don't have to face whatever the fuck it is that I'm running from. And I honestly, I'm not sure what it was. And I was talking about this on my podcast with the guest the other day. Like, I didn't experience any kind of big trauma when I was a kid I didn't experience like sexual abuse or physical abuse or anything there wasn't like one big moment in my life that happened where I was like oh this is why I'm using this is why I'm trying to escape I think for me there was a curiosity about what drugs would do and some of that did come from my parents my dad was an undercover cop so I always wanted to know, like, why why is he arresting these people? Like, why why is it illegal to, to do these things? Like, why are drugs bad? Whatever. Like, I never had that explained to me, like, the negative repercussions of drug use. And I was always curious what it would be like to get high. And then I did it, and I really fucking liked it. And I, I thought it was a lot better than living life without it. You know, living life clean, sober, however you want to describe it. I enjoyed it. And that that's part of the thing. Like some people don't understand that, that aren't drug users. Like they work, man. Like the drugs work, they do their job. Like they, they do what they're supposed to do. Like they make you feel different. They make you feel that dopamine rush. And like, there's, there's definitely some things that you get out of drugs. Cause if drugs sucked, man, I wouldn't have done them for so <laughs> fucking long. Um, 
So for me, I think it was just once I tried it, like I really liked it and I didn't, I thought I had like found the answer. I thought I had found the key to life. It was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do is get high and feel better and, and I can get through this. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, kind of like that, like, like they say, hindsight's 2020, like looking back at it now, yeah, the beginning was really fun. I enjoyed it at the beginning, but you don't know all the consequences that are going to come along with using. You don't understand um, how the drugs are going to change you as a person. Like I was acting in ways that I would never have done if I wasn't using like lying and cheating and stealing and doing all these things that I wouldn't normally do just to continue to be able to use and, and, you know, isolating and, and separating myself from my family. Cause I don't want them to know what I'm doing or what I'm spending my money on or what kind of lifestyle I'm living. So cut family off. And, you know, as, as the drug use continues, <coughs> excuse me, as the drug use continues, you know, start showing up at work less and less. And now, now money's even more tight. Not like I was ever really balling delivering pizzas, but <laughs> you know, you weren't, uh, you weren't bringing in six figures delivering pizza. I mean, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I delivered pizza when I was in high school and I was paying for most of the stuff that me and my friends did. Uh, be, you know, because it, at 18 years old, I was making, you know, almost thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a year delivering pizza full time after school. Wow! Yeah, I wish I'd had that gig, man. I don't honestly, I don't know how much I was making because I was spending so much of it on dope. So, who knows how much money I was making at the time, man? But it seemed like finances were tight because I was always. Wait, you're telling me you didn't have a budget? No, there was no budget, man. It was. I can remember there were times when I would drive into work with my gas tank on E and I would get like that $20 that they give you as like your bank to make change. And I would immediately go and put $20 of gas in my truck and then hope that people would pay with exact change. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was definitely not a responsible drug user. I did not have any kind of budget, nothing along those lines. Yeah. I mean, I found out that, uh, when, when I shared that, that I had a budget. Uh, the first thing that my that my sponsor at the time told me was that's not fucking normal. <laughs> no, not at all. Normal people don't put a budget for how much they can spend on drugs. Yeah, that sounds pretty abnormal, and I don't think that nobody that I was using with, at least that I was aware of, was budgeting for their drug use. Man, it. I never. I never really had any kind of regard for the future, man. I wasn't planning anything out. It was all, what can I do right now? It's that instant gratification. It's like, what can I, what can I snort? What can I smoke to make me feel better? I, I didn't care about the future, man. You know, I didn't, I didn't plan on living this long. You know, I'm 29, almost 30. I didn't think I would be this old, honestly, man. Like that's insane. Uh, I celebrated six years yesterday. That's insane, man. I never thought I'd go six years without getting drunk or high or whatever, man. Like, I never thought that would be possible, but I never thought I'd live to see 30. And I may not. I mean, I still got a few months till I turn 30, but the lifestyle I'm living now, there's a pretty good chance that I'll make it to 30. But who knows? When I leave this room and 
go home, I might get hit on the fucking highway and die, man. But at least today I'm living in a manner where if I die, I feel like I'm living at least in a way where I'm trying to help people and try to be a good person and, and try to give back to society and, and, you know, kind of be a living amends for some of the shitty things that I did when I was using, um, you know, one of the last times I got high, um, I smoked some DMT and for people that aren't familiar with DMT, it's kind of like a mini acid trip. And it feels like, it feels like you're high for a really long time, like hours. And in reality, it's like 10 or 15 minutes. I don't think I've ever shared this story. I know for sure. I've never recorded this story. I don't know why the (laughs) fuck I'm telling this story, but anyway, exclusive content, baby. Yeah. Very, very much so exclusive. Um, I had smoked some DMT and the entire trip was my funeral and Basically, the only people that showed up to my funeral were my mom, my dad, and my sister. And they, and like in this, I don't even want to say, it felt like a dream, but it wasn't a dream because I was high. But in this trip, um, basically, they were discussing like what a shitty person I was and how they weren't surprised that, that they were the only people that showed up to the funeral and... You know, I'm not really surprised that he doesn't have any friends that would, you know, come to the funeral and this and that. And, and I woke up or I keep saying woke up because for whatever, DMT feels like a fucking dream, but it's not the trip ended. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the technical terms are now for DMT trips and like what I'm supposed to say for when, when you're not high anymore, whatever the fucking term is. I don't know. I never did DMT. I was offered DMT the first day that I started a job in restoration <laughs> by the owners of the company that I worked for. Nice. It was it was a very interesting way to be introduced to the company that I then worked for <laughs> uh you know for the better part of the next 5 years. Nice. To have the owners go You want to hit this? <laughs> That's pretty wild. I got. I have a few stories about owners of companies that I worked for that did similar things, but uh, yeah. So like that that trip came to an end. However, the fuck you, whatever the correct adjective is to describe the trip ending. I'm, I'm sure there's one. I don't know. That's beside the point. Um, I just remember being really sad and thinking like, man, here I am. I think I was 21 or 22, and it was like, man. I haven't done anything with my life. Like looking, trying to look at my life honestly, like, you know, my mind is still clouded by the drugs and whatnot, but like there's at least enough clarity that I could see like, man, I've wasted this short amount of time that I've been on this earth and I haven't done anything. I haven't helped anybody. I'm just, I'm I'm just in this pattern of self-obsession and, self-centeredness where all I care about is me and how I feel and what can I take to make me feel better. And just in this spot where I just felt like I was worthless. And that was the first time that I really saw like what my life looked like. And I wanted to change. I didn't know how to change. I was at that point where, like I was talking about earlier, where it was like first thing in the morning, I got to smoke to get out of bed and like, I have to continue to do it to like maintain this level of whatever to, uh, 
to get through the day. And I remember later that night I was at work and it was like in between deliveries and I was out, out back smoking a cigarette, whatever. And I just had like this overwhelming feeling like I need to call my sister. So I called her and I'm like sitting in my, in my little piece of shit truck that I think I paid like $500 for. And I'm like sobbing, smoking a cigarette. Like I've, I don't know, like trying to explain to her. Cause you know, at that point I cut off communication with my family and you know, I'm on the phone with her and I'm like, you know, I've been, I've been doing meth and I don't know what to do and I don't want to do this anymore. And I just need help but I don't know what to do. And, you know, she wasn't really familiar with, uh, 12 step programs or anything like that. And, uh, she had a little bit of knowledge cause her, her first husband was in recovery. Um, and they had gotten divorced a few months before that. And so she said, Hey, you can come sleep on my couch if you want to get away. Cause I think, I think in that, at that time I, in the conversation I'd mentioned that, you know, all my roommates were using and I didn't know what to do. And so she basically was like, you can crash on my couch. I was like, all right, awesome. So I pack up a, a bag when I get off of work and I go over there and I'm crashing with her and things are going all right. I'm not, I'm not smoking meth anymore, but I'm, I'm drinking like insane amounts of, of booze just to try to like cope with, with the come down off of this cocktail of whatever else I've been taking, you know, mainly meth, but you know, if somebody offered it to me, I was going to do it. Um, and so I end up moving in with her and I was there for a couple of weeks and I think I smoked meth one more time while I lived with her. Um, but I started that substitution, that cycle of, of substituting one for another and started drinking real heavily and, uh, you know, heavy drinking mixed with a delivery job where you're driving for eight plus hours a day is not a great combination. So, um, it didn't take very long. I think I lived with her. It might've been a month tops. Um, and I got arrested for a DWI. Um, and I probably could have got away with it if I hadn't sideswiped three cars and ran the front of my truck into someone's living room. Um, but at that point I was so intoxicated that I, that I couldn't do anything. I could barely fucking stand up. <laughs> uh, and I remember, I remember the, the arresting officer, the first guy on the scene, you know, he, he wanted to do the whole like field sobriety test and all that shit. And I think the, the, the first thing I remember saying to him is, dude, I'm drunk. I'm not going to pass this, which is probably not the best thing to tell the cop that you're drunk. But, you know, as drunk as I was, like, I think it was pretty apparent, um, that I, that I was drunk and that I was the one that drove into the house. Um, and I can remember we did like the, I think he told me to say the alphabet backwards. And I was like, dude, I can't do that even when I'm not drunk. Um, which I think is the point of that test. You're supposed to say that, um, <laughs> And he was getting ready to handcuff me. And I was like, hey, man, I got to pee really bad because I've been drinking. This was on a, this was on a Super Bowl Sunday. So I've been drinking leading up to work. And then the my go to bar at the time was closing and it was their last day that they were going to be in business. So all the regulars that came in, they were just like taking bottles off the wall behind the behind the bar and just like passing out 
full bottles of liquor to all like the regular patrons of this bar. So I've been drinking pretty heavily before work and uh, then on my lunch break, which was like 10 o'clock at night, um, I got to my girlfriend at the time's house and I think I drank like a half a bottle of vodka or something on top of hours of drinking ahead of time. So I was pretty drunk and I needed to pee. And so I was like, man, can I go pee in that bush before before you put the handcuffs on me and you put me in the car? And uh, he's like, well, just don't do anything stupid. Don't run off. And I was like, dude, I can barely walk. So he let me go over there and pee in the bushes. And that's like the only thing I really remember um, until I got to county jail and, and did that whole thing. Um, and uh, spent a couple days in county and then got out. And one of the uh, one of the stipulations for my probation was that I had to attend 12-step meetings. So that was really my first introduction to a 12-step meeting was me walking into to a meeting in my hometown i got this stupid piece of paper i don't know anybody but like i'm required to be here i'm not smart enough to know that it's an anonymous program so there's no way that my probation officer can verify that i was actually there so i go in there and i'm sure i broke every unspoken rule there is you know i was it was an aa meeting and i introduced myself as I'm Brett and I'm an alcoholic, meth head, pothead, whatever. I don't know what the fuck I said, but whatever it was, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the correct way to introduce myself. And then I think I just kind of, I don't even remember what I shared, but I know I talked for a couple minutes and probably just spilled my guts and it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I remember an old timer pulled me aside after that meeting and he was like, man, I think you should... Uh, I think you should check out another fellowship. Um, you might give NA a shot because it sounds like you got more than more than just alcohol uh, issues. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. So um, I, I went home and, and looked one up and went to one of their meetings and kind of felt like I fit in a little bit better there. You know, most of the people there were closer to my age, whereas the people at the AA room, you know, not to not to hate on anybody in AA, but they were all, uh, they were all probably 50, 60 or better. And, you know, here I am 21, 22, you know, I'm, I'm looking at things, you know, I still haven't gotten to this point where I'm like really open-minded and stuff. So I'm looking at things with the perspective of like, this is a room full of a bunch of old fucking people. Like they can't tell me nothing. They don't understand me. They don't know what it's like. You know, I had that whole perspective and then I go to this other room and there's people that are, you know, 18 to like 30 and I'm like, okay, I kind of fit in here. So, so I did that and, and I started going to that program. And like I said, I didn't really have a whole lot of open-mindedness. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to, to actually do anything different. Um, you know, I had those people in the, at those first couple of meetings, like, Oh, you need to get a sponsor. You need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. You need to do this. You need to buy a book. You need to, it's like, I just got out of county jail, man. I don't have any money to buy a book. I don't know what the fuck a sponsor is. I don't have a car. I don't have my driver's license. 90 meetings in 90 days is going to be pretty fucking hard because I'm not going to, you know, I didn't have the willingness at that point that I was going to walk six miles one way to a meeting and six miles back. And I was like, you know, whatever, man. Like my probation officers require me to go to one a week, like one a week's enough for me, you know, and I, I had a pretty closed mind. Um, 
And I relapsed a few times after that, you know, there were a few times that I went out to the bar and, uh, you know, I try trying to do this whole thing on my own, man. And, and honestly, looking back on it, at it now, like I'm grateful for those relapses. Um, because today, like I still have those thoughts of like, Oh man, I could have a, a beer or two and I'd be all right. But I know that's bullshit. Cause I've tried that before, you know, in the beginning I tried that. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to have a beer and I'm going to leave. That never happened. Um, I also tried, there were a few times I was like, man, I'm only going to drink. And then, you know, I'm leaving the bar with a stranger and we're driving to the hood. <laughs> Excuse me. We're driving to the hood and we're picking up a fucking rock. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, I, I can't do this, man. Like I, I've tried my way and it just doesn't work. You know, I gotta, I gotta actually give this thing a shot. I, maybe I should, maybe I should get a sponsor. Like people keep suggesting, maybe I should actually work some fucking steps. You know, maybe I should ask other people what they're doing and what's worked for them. You know, maybe I should take some simple suggestions, but it took a while for me to get to that point where I was willing to do something different. Like I had to get to that, that place of misery and pain. And you know, it, it's, it's like there's different levels of it, like going to jail. That was pretty fucking miserable. Um, but I still wasn't convinced that, that I had a problem. You know, I still had that mindset of like, you know, maybe, maybe I just got caught. Maybe I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe next time, you know, I quit drinking an hour before I drive instead of finishing off the bottle and then hopping in my truck immediately. Uh, you know, <laughs> stupid ideas like that. Uh, and it took me a while to realize that, you know, I can't use anything successfully. There's no way for me to, to use and, and not suffer the consequences of, of my actions. Um, and so that's where, that's where the whole thing kind of started, man. You know, my clean date is 12, 26, 2014, the day after Christmas, you know, I, <coughs> sorry, I'm trying to cough away from the microphone to minimize your editing. Um, that's uh, all good. I don't know how to edit. <laughs> <laughs> we drove right. we, we drove around for what four hours today and i finally at the end of the at the end of the four hours we ended up in at the guitar center in dallas and i'm just like this one looks like a good one maybe it'll work i mean it'll definitely work but the one that i bought from amazon is getting shipped back on tuesday <laughs> just because we're in dallas right now recording on location that's pretty fancy man i feel like i'm on joe rogan or something like on location recording instead of me having to fly to you you flew to me like it's that's pretty vip man that's i mean the airline industry has kind of tanked so it was 50 bucks you're not that special and i don't think you came to town just to record me on a podcast so that was definitely that was definitely part of coming out here that i wanted to get done and why i was so hell-bent on getting a mixer that would connect to my computer because we've been you know we've been talking about doing this podcast and we've been talking about you know really what it's going to be about and i was just at the point where i'm like trying to set everything up for the first time and i'm like oh my god I spent the least amount of money possible and it doesn't work. I guess I have to go like actually buy something that's solid and reliable. 
Mm. You know, and I mean, this thing that we got here is a Yamaha. I've heard of Yamaha. I hear they make great pianos. They uh, do indeed. <laughs> you know, so uh, it was really, really plug and play. But let's get back to, uh, actually, let's take a break for a little bit. We're at about 34 minutes. Holy shit. So uh, we'll come back and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, about your journey and your experience. We don't have any sponsors currently, but if anybody out there wants to sponsor this podcast, more than happy to let you. (laughs) All right, and we are after a little nicotine fix. <laughs> we always got to get the nicotine fix. I think that's the only thing that, uh, that was like the one thing when I found the rooms that people were like, you know what? You can't do anything else, but you can smoke and you can vape as much as you want. <laughs> and for that first like three months, the first three months that I was sober, I was a fucking chimney. I, like the first three weeks, I was smoking like three packs a fucking day, and vaping. Wow, it was rough. It was rough, but like the nice thing was, is in Arizona, where I was, it was a nice little trip to the reservation, where the reservation like they've got packs of Marlboro cigarettes for like five bucks. So I was just buying, you know, I was just buying a carton at a time. At one point, I was trying to roll my own cigarettes. Don't ever do that. <laughs> it was you got to get the little rolling machine. I did get the rolling machine, but like, I couldn't make them fast enough where I was like smoking them as I was like churning them out because like, you'd only get like three or four puffs out of it because <laughs> <laughs> like, I couldn't pack them. Like, it just didn't work. I, I didn't take enough time to figure out how to make that work and it I used it for like four days and then went back to buying cartons. Oh, I got I got obsessed with that little rolling machine when I was when I was tweaking and I watched like YouTube videos and I perfected it, man. I could use that little rolling machine to make like the perfect cigarette, so I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I, I used to be pretty good at rolling them. Now I'm just stuck on this damn robo vape. Oh well. I guess it's Yeah, you've had that you've had that thing for for yeah, a hot this, minute. This one's here, pretty man. beat up. You ready for a new one? Uh at some point. I don't know. I, I have a hard time letting this one go because I've had it for so long. It's like a <laughs> it's like a little piece of me. Oh. It's always in my hand. It's like you feel empty without it? Yeah, sometimes I do. Fair. I wish I could vape while I was sleeping. <laughs> Constant nicotine drip. Yeah, yeah. Can they do? Can they do IV nicotine? I'm sure they could. I mean, I if you like have one of the patches, you're always getting nicotine. Yeah. Did you know that? So I found this out recently that uh, there's a certain pack of a certain amount of cigarettes that those pack those patches make up for. So like, 
if you have like you can put like two or three patches on mm-hmm. at a time but like once you get past a certain amount of like a certain amount of cigarettes that you smoked during the day like it won't make up for that nicotine hmm. so you'll just have like a constant drop where you're not getting as much nicotine and you're just a fucking monster it's horrible yeah, fortunately, I waited. I th- I think I was about two years into my recovery before I quit smoking cigarettes, and I went cold turkey, and I didn't vape. I didn't do anything, and that was rough. Those first couple of days without that nicotine, I was definitely more of an asshole than normal. Um, <laughs> I think I went about a year or so without any nicotine, and then... For whatever reason, I decided I wanted to vape again because um, I, I tried vaping a little bit when I first tried to quit smoking cigarettes, and that was back when they like first came out, and they were the ones that looked like ballpoint pens, and they sucked. Uh, when they were actually e-cigarettes. Yeah, when they were actually e-cigarettes, but they, I don't know, I, I get, I don't know if I didn't find the right juice or what, but like I didn't enjoy it, and so. I don't know why I started vaping again, but I love it. I really do. It's like that meme. Have you seen the meme where it says something like when you when you pick up when you celebrate two years I think I think it's an NA meme. It's like when you pick up your black key tag you get a monster energy drink and a vape. I kinda <laughs> I kinda feel like that's me. Like I started vaping after I had been without nicotine. I don't do the energy drinks because I already have high blood pressure, and I don't need to add that to to what's going on, man. It makes me way too jittery and shit, but definitely definitely hooked on the nicotine. Yeah, it's one of the things at work that we uh, we constantly have stocked in the fridge. I mean, we get, we get a Costco drop like every two or three weeks, and the first thing that goes is uh, the bangs, the Red Bulls, then we get down to just, you know, having Mountain Dew, Coke, Diet Coke. Uh, we've got some black tea that's in, like, mm-hmm. the, the like the small little bottled black tea. No sugar. It's not fun. Ugh. Sometimes it tastes good, though. <laughs> all right, so. All right, so we found out there's a problem. Right, you've you've gotten to the point where you've realized there's an issue. Yeah. So, and, oh, let's see. I'm 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 kind of trying to replay in my head like where we left off. So yeah, I'm realizing that there's an issue, um, and I'm still kind of. I don't. Did I get to the point where I decided that I was going to quit, or was I still kind of? I don't remember where we left what? off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Quit what? I feel like I've kind of jumped around in my story, and now I'm not exactly sure where I left off or what I haven't have or haven't said. So I guess the I guess the question that I've got for you is: was it was it finding a, uh, you know a fellowship to be a part of, uh, you know that that pushed you over the top to you know to start doing something about the way you were feeling. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that statement. And, and that kind of goes back to the beginning of this interview and the importance of meeting attendance and stuff. Um, 
and being encouraged by the members of the group that I was attending to, you know, read the first three chapters in the book and, and really begin to examine like what it means to be an addict and, and, you know, try to, try to look, try to be open-minded and, and honest with myself and, and start to examine my life and see if some of my behaviors and actions and thoughts, if those match up to what they describe an addict to be. And so, yes, the program definitely helped me see that, that I had, that I had a problem. You know, I, I knew for a while, like I always, even in like middle school and high school and stuff, man, like there were definitely times when I never, I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like an outcast or an alien or like a weirdo or what, whatever you want to, however you want to describe that. Like there were definitely a lot of times where I didn't feel like I fit in and I started to feel like I fit in, in the rooms. I started to over time, like we were talking about when we took our little smoke break, like it, it took me a while to get to that point and it took a while for me to start to open up and, and listen and, and not judge everyone. But eventually I started to see the similarities between me and other people in the rooms. And I started to, to take some suggestions. I started to read some of the literature and, and actually put I wasn't, I still wasn't like a hundred percent sold, but I started to put a little bit of effort into it. You know, I started to do a little bit more than just sit in the seat for an hour. You know, I'd go home. I, I, I finally, I got, I got a job. So I had a little bit of money coming in. It was still, it was a shitty job. Let's be real. I got a job at Waffle House. <laughs> um, I think I've been to that Waffle House. You have definitely been to that Waffle House. Some of the same people that worked there when I worked there like eight years ago still work there, which is pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, I got that job um, at Waffle House probably like six weeks after I got out of jail. Because um, that was like the only place that I could find at the time that was hiring and all of a sudden I had to pay probation fees and I had court costs and there was still some stuff that was going on in my life that required me to have a job and, and be somewhat responsible. So anyway, like I had a little bit of money, got a basic text or I don't know if we're doing fellowship specific. I got a book um, and started reading a little bit and like putting in a little bit of effort. Like I said, not not like still not completely convinced that, that this is what I need or that this is the answer to my problems, but at least putting forth a little bit of effort and like reading the book when I'm not at the meeting and you know, it kind of started to sink in after a little while. Like some of these things started to line up. I started to, to see myself in those pages. I started to relate to those things and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is what I've been looking for. Maybe this is a solution. Maybe I am a problem. Maybe, Maybe the drug use is just a symptom, you know, maybe, maybe that's the solution that I've come up with to deal with, with the problem. And, and ultimately the problem is me. The problem is the way that I think and the way that I behave and how I act. And, and so I have to, if I want to change it, I, I, I need to go back to this room. I need to continue to read this book. I need to figure out what these other people are doing 
because the people in the rooms when I first got there, like I could see the similarities, but at the same time I could also see that they were different. Like they seemed happy and there was just something different about them, man. Like you could tell that they had been through some shit, but at the same time, like in general, they were joyful and they were glad to see each other. And, and you could tell that these people knew each other, like outside of the rooms, like they had relationships and they did things together and they were a part of one another's lives. And it's like, okay, I want to be a part of that group. Like I want to, I want to, I want to feel what they're feeling. I want to be, I want to be happy. I want to show up to a meeting and be joking with people and like genuinely feel, feel those feelings and stuff. And so it's like, well, if I want what they have, then I better figure out what it is they're doing so that I can, so that I can try this. Man, that's the one thing I'm glad, I'm glad you hit on that because when I first walked into the into the rooms, I thought that, that was the biggest fucking lie out there. Mm. I was like, "There's no way that these people have been through, you know, the the shit that that I've been through, and they're happy, mm-hmm. and they're living. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they've got these friendships. They've they found, you know, a, a new way to live, as we talk about." you know, in, in, in literature a lot, um, you know, it was, there's gotta be a catch. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's lying, somebody's lying. And for the first time, it's not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember going, I remember the first couple of meetings I went to and I, I was leaving and I was thinking, man, these people have definitely got to be high cause nobody is this happy without getting loaded. And, uh, you know, that, that wasn't the case, man. And, and now I understand that, you know, today I live a life of gratitude. I'm grateful for where I am. I'm grateful for the, for the experiences, man. Cause if I didn't have these shitty experiences then I don't think I'd have near as much of an appreciation for where I am now, <clears throat> I don't think that I would be as grateful for the job that I have now. I don't think I'd be as grateful for the relationships that I have now. I, you know, I think a lot of times we we take for granted the things that we have in our life and all the things that, that just seem to happen, you know? And I've thought about before and I don't know why the fuck I'm about to say this and it's probably weird, but like, I'm grateful to be alive in the 21st century, you know, and with the modern conveniences that we have and, you know, to, to live in the country that we live in, you know, it's not perfect. Like there's, there's plenty of things that are, are wrong or, or, aren't to my liking in our country, especially now it feels like there's a lot of turmoil and, and, you know, political and social and all these things that that could definitely change, man. But I'm grateful for being alive in this time period. I'm grateful for the things that we have, man, like high speed internet. That's pretty fucking awesome. Cars, (laughs) you know, like all these things that, that are, are, are somewhat new, uh, new inventions man like it's it's a great time to be alive and i'm grateful for that and it's it's weird to be grateful i feel like it's it's strange to say that you're grateful for that because it's not like i picked to be born when i was but yeah, i mean grateful. the odds are, the odds are highly against it exactly exactly man like what what are the odds i i'm not good at math so i, I think the, I, tell I, you. I think the last time i heard the odds of of becoming a human like are like 400 
billion to one. Like, but I mean, you're telling me there's a chance. I mean that right there, man. That's that's a reason to be grateful, man. I woke up today. That's another reason to be grateful. Like I'm, I'm fairly healthy, you know. Besides the high blood pressure that I mentioned, I'm I'm pretty healthy, and you know, I take a pill every morning, and and it's not an issue. Uh, so there's just so many things to be grateful for, man. Like friendships. Here I am sitting in a hotel room with Zach. We've hung out all day, man. It's been a great day. We've been looking at audio equipment and talking about podcasts and talking about recovery and just like what's going on in our lives, man. And that's, that's something that I didn't have when I was using, I didn't have those friendships. I didn't have, not only did I not really have the ability to have those friendships, but I was so focused on me that I didn't really care about those friendships. I, I wouldn't want to set aside what if we've been hanging out for like six or seven hours today there's no way I could have done that when I was using because, man, I'm starting to come down. I got to go somewhere. I got to go get high. Like, there's no way that I could have set aside that much time to just, like, hang out and talk and 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 do my best to be present and, like, listen and, and not just wait for my turn to talk. Like, trying to actually listen to what somebody else is saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely it's definitely interesting to to see the world through that lens. Mm. Um, there was, there was a lot of time where I wasn't grateful for, you know, I wasn't grateful for being able to sit here and goof around with podcast equipment and, <laughs> you know, drive around the Metroplex to all the different guitar centers, uh, you know, to see the same equipment in like three different places. <laughs> You know, and then, and then like to find out that like, they don't have the one that I want, mm. but like, I'm grateful that, you know, we got to drive around. I'm grateful that we got to talk. It's, mm. it's definitely, you know, a different, a different way to see the world. And a lot of times, you know, like when I get tired, I forget that shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's super easy for me to get, forget that shit. It's super easy for me to, you know, to fall back into, oh, the world's against me. But being around people that feel that way, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I thought it was the corniest thing, you know, a few years ago that, you know, the, the people you surround yourself with, you know, really do have an effect on how you experience the world, mm-hmm. you know, has, so I guess, I guess one of the questions that, that I've been holding back here because it's been something that popped up quite a bit in the last few months. So my question is what do you think has a bigger impact on someone? A negative experience or a positive experience? I think we've discussed this before. <clears throat> you you had called me and asked me this question at one point, and I think my answer, I think I went, I think I ended up going with both, um, because I see, I see how a negative experience can impact you. I mean, we kind of touched on it in in the beginning like a, I think a lot of 
people that turn to drug use, that's because of a negative event that, that's happened in their life, you know, whether that be physical or sexual or mental abuse or something along those lines. Um, so I think negative impact, I think the negative can have a pretty big impact, but I also think that that the positive can have a big impact. I mean, I can still remember when I first started coming to the program that I'm in, there was a guy that made an effort to make me feel welcome. Like he went out of his way to come over and talk to me. And, you know, it turns out that he lived not too far from me. And since he started to get to know me, like he knew my situation, he knew I didn't have a driver's license. He knew I didn't have a car. Like he knew a little bit about me. And so he started offering to like pick me up and take me to meetings and, he invited me over. I remember it was pretty early on. I'd, I'd been coming to the meeting for, I don't know, four or five weeks. And he was hosting a, a barbecue at his house one weekend. And he sent me a text like, hey, man, you want to come to the barbecue? And I was like, I'd love to, but I don't have a ride. And I remember he left his house. He left the party that he was hosting, drove a couple miles down the road, picked me up. And took me back to his house so I could be a part of this of this group that was getting together that was, I say barbecue, I think it was hamburgers and hot dogs. It feels weird to call that barbecue. We're in Texas. It's not fucking barbecue. That's, a, that's <laughs> grilling out. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone that I've offended for using the wrong terminology. That is not barbecuing. But, but that had a big impact on me. Like That was something that was positive, and it made me feel... Like he gave a shit about me. It made me feel like I was wanted because he left his own party where he's got, you know, eight or 10 people that are over there hanging out and, you know, having a good time on the, you know, grilling. And I can't remember what they were doing now. I think he had like horseshoes and some board games and whatever. It was the first like sober party I'd ever been to. So I didn't know what to expect, but like he left those people that are there having a good time, went out of his way to come get me and then drove back to his house. Like, man, that had such a big impact. So I think it's both, man. I think, I don't know that, that one outweighs the other. I think, I think negative things in our lives can definitely have a big impact and they can damage us and they can leave scars and, and trauma. And it can be something that we have to work through. But I think, on the other, on the flip side of that coin, I think that the positive things that kindness can also, also have a big, big role in our lives, man. Cause I think like that, 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 uh, that example that I just gave that story that I just told, that was probably, oh man, that was, that was at least eight years ago. And I still remember that. And that was just like, that's such a simple thing, man. Like it doesn't sound like that big of a thing, but you don't know what, what's going on in that other person's life. You don't know what that little act can mean to them. And, and for me, that was the first time in years that I'd ever really felt like I belonged. I ever, I ever felt like somebody wanted to include me. You know, I felt like I was wanted, uh, and that was huge, man. And it wasn't even that big of a deal. Like it wasn't some crazy party. It wasn't some big elaborate event, man. Like I ate a couple of hot dogs and I, and I think I played a card game and 
and then and then he gave me a ride home and it wasn't like some big thing but but it meant a lot to me at the time because here I am coming from from using being self-centered not giving a shit about anybody except myself feeling like a piece of shit and this guy is like making such a big effort to make sure that I'm included in this event and it was like man somebody actually cares about me like wow wow I'm just in awe of the the look on your face when you're when you're like when you're telling this story like like if 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 everybody could see you while you're telling that story I mean you've just got the biggest smile on your face and it seems like it, it seems like a lot of times when we're telling stories they're not you know they're not the brightest they're not the they're not the most upbeat you know it's usually the shitty part of our lives that we share you know like i i mean i can i can only speak for me but usually when i'm you know when i'm talking to my buddies you know i'm telling them about the shitty stuff that's going on i'm not really telling them about all the you know all the all the good stuff that's happening all of the you know the beautiful interactions the beautiful relationships that that today i'm getting to be a part of Mm. you know it's i think that one of the things that kept me coming back to the rooms uh was you know was that experience was was you being so happy when people walk in the door you know i mean i think the first i think the first night that i came in uh I knew your name because one of my friends had been to the meetings and was like, yeah, this dude's, this dude's tight. (laughs) And I walk in and it was like, you know, it wasn't like, what the hell are you doing here? It was, Hey man, what's going on? Glad you're here. You know, it was, it was that welcoming Mm. feeling. It was inviting, you know, that, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain that in a way that makes sense at least right now. Yeah. But just that feeling. Yeah. And I I think part of that too is I, I received that when I first came to the rooms and I remember the feelings that I felt. And I remember, I remember going into my first meeting. It was really awkward. Like I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how it worked. My only, my only real knowledge of 12 steps was, you know, what I'd seen in movies and TV and just to receive that warm welcome like that. It just kind of like helped me let my guard down a little bit. It made me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm in a safe place. Like, this is, I can do this for an hour. And so I, I want to be that same person for the new person that comes into the rooms. I want to welcome them. I want them to know that you're in the right place. If you have any questions, ask me, you know, if you just need somebody to talk to, like call me, you don't have to, you don't have to sign up to be in recovery for the rest of your life at this meeting. You don't have to pick your sponsor forever. You don't have to go to a meeting every day for the rest of your life. You don't have to memorize all the books. Like just come and sit down for an hour. Try to listen with an open mind. Like you're welcome. You're welcome to be here. Please keep coming back. Like, 
you know, this is this is a safe place. The people that are in these rooms, they want to help. So, you know, just just welcome. Well, I think you took away my last question, because, uh, I mean, right there, right there, I mean, I feel like that's, I feel like that's something that a lot of people are scared of when they come into the rooms. Mm. You know, they're 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 coming in to like you said, to get their paper signed. It's an anonymous meeting. Like it is what it is, but there's something so beautiful in seeing, you know, a person that might not feel like they belong, start to feel like they belong. And I don't know, being able to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Is that something that, I mean, is that something that, came from the rooms or was that something that like you had experienced in your life prior? I think most of that came from the rooms, man. I really do. I feel like, I feel like I always felt like, like the outcast and yeah, like what I just shared about the warm welcome that I received when I, when I got there and when I came in the rooms, like I think that, the majority of that came from the 12 step program that I'm a part of. And I think a lot of that also came just from that experience and, and having felt those feelings and just trying to help the next person, help them to feel welcome, help them to not feel that rejection and, and feel weird. You know, I just want people to come in and feel comfortable. And if I can help them, you know, that's great, man. If I can, if I can ease their mind or whatever, you know, I love, I love when new people get there a few minutes early so that if they have some questions, like I can do my best to answer them. And, you know, cause a lot of times people come in and they don't know. And I want to be able to say like, Hey, this is, this is kind of what's going to happen. Like we're going to start the meeting here in a few minutes. We're going to read these couple of readings. Then the chairperson's going to probably pick a little section out of the book as a topic and then, you know, one person at a time talks, you know, and just kind of like help them understand how the meeting works and how it flows. And I think that that I think that kind of helps them to know, not necessarily like trying to tell somebody what to do, but just like, hey, here's what to expect. Like, here's here's how our meetings work. Like, this is what the next hour is going to be like. And that kind of helps them be at ease. Like they know, OK, this is this is what's going to happen and this is what the what the meetings like. Cause I, I know I've talked to several people afterwards um, that may have slipped in like right after the meeting started. And then they were like, well, I kept asking questions and nobody would answer. And it's like, well, cause the way that our group works is one person talks at a time, you know, we don't cross talk. And so I know that's kind of, that could kind of be weird. Cause I don't think there's a lot of places where if you, where if you're talking, like trying to look for answers, people don't answer you. So it's kind of like, okay, what, what am I doing wrong? Like I asked a question and nobody's directly answering me. Nobody else is talking. So, so I like to try to kind of explain it to people when, when they're new. Man, clear your throat before we record, bro. I'm, I'm trying. You were talking about whatever that was you were taking when we were at dinner and I, I need Zyrtec. one of those. Yeah, I need, I need some of that, man. I got like all this mucus in my throat. Yeah, the beauty of not vaping much anymore 
is that taking the the generic Zyrtec, whatever the antihistamine that you can get over the counter, is it takes away most of the mucus. Like that gag reflex isn't there all the time. I'm not like puking in the car. Well, this is the beauty of vaping like 16 hours a day, so. <laughs> yeah. All right, my man. We have hit the hour mark. What else do you want to share with the listeners? There's probably only one. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm I'm really honored that you had me on your very first episode. And I've known you for several years now, and, man, you're... You're a great friend, and I'm I'm so glad that I got to meet you and that we've developed this friendship, man. Um, if my mom or anyone else that's listening is interested, I do have my own recovery podcast called Recovery Survey. I'm on all the major podcast platforms. You can also find me at recoverysurvey.com. All the social media accounts are just Recovery Survey. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I think I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn too. I don't know why. You're on LinkedIn for recovery survey? I am indeed. I have a recovery survey page on LinkedIn. I don't know why. But I've I've found a few guests on there, so I guess that's why I have that page. Um, and I guess my message would be just to anybody that's new, that's struggling, that doesn't know what to do, uh, you know, if they don't if they don't know if twelve steps for them or or smart recovery or one of the other programs or harm reduction or whatever it is, man, like just reach out for help, man. Just wherever you can find it, wherever you feel comfortable, like just find, find that help, man. If you don't, if you don't know if you're an addict, if you don't know if that's your problem, you know, just reach out. Like I'm sure Zach would be willing to talk to anybody that sends him a message. If you send me a message on social media, I'll talk to anybody. You know, I'm just, <clears throat> excuse me. God, this mucus is like all up in my throat. You know, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a guy with a, with a microphone and a computer. I'm not anybody special, man. I'll talk to anybody. I'll do my best to help you if I can or recommend, you know, resources in your area or whatever it may be. But, um, you know, if you're struggling, just please reach out. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. There's people that are out there that are willing to help, that are willing to talk to you, and you don't have to struggle by yourself. So if you need help, all you have to do is ask. Wow. Brett, thank you so much for for being here, for, for sharing uh, your experience. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>